Hello, and welcome to our broadcast. I'm Natalia Kovarubias Eckhart. I'm the inpatient medical director for rehab and pain management at St. Jude in Fullerton, and I'm going to be co-hosting today's discussion. As a reminder, the information provided during this event is for informational purposes only. For any specific medical questions, please reach out to your primary care physician or your healthcare professional. Today, co-hosting with me is Dr. David LeGrew. He is the Executive Medical Director for Women's Services at St. Joseph Health. Thank you for joining me today. Oh, my pleasure. So to get us started, Dr. LeGrew, please let us know what you do in your role with St. Joseph Health. Yeah, so my official title is uh, Medical Director for the Women's and Children's Clinical Institute here in Southern California. So in that role, my job, of course, is to help coordinate uh, uh, both our hospitals and ministries and the medical group activities on different uh, clinical parameters around women's and children's health. During the COVID epidemic, um, I've had the, had I've taken upon the role to be the one to sort of coordinate the efforts as far as sharing and socializing information about what's going on in the region with with COVID. Uh, what are the latest recommendations from our major societies like uh, the American College OBGYN Society of Maternal Fetal Medicine, uh, American Academy of Pediatrics? So. Uh, sharing the statistics, sharing uh, the experiences, uh, you know, helping with as mundane things as, hey, where are we going to get enough tests and what should you be doing, those types of things. So uh, it's been a real journey, uh, but also it's also enriched me in, in getting to, to work with uh, our providers and, and uh, caregivers through the region and, and support them. So it's, it's been a journey. I'm sure it sounds like it has been. It's been a change here too. So I'm glad that you've been able to support our region with that. Um, yeah. What has been your experience with pregnant women or new mothers who have gotten COVID? Well, you know, I think it's interesting because I would say our experience here in Southern California has been very, very similar to the nation as a whole, the state as a whole. Uh, we've had the surges. Uh, we have seen those and and dealt with the deluge of of uh, sick sick uh, mothers. Uh, we've seen people. Um, you know, we do routine screening on admission to the hospital uh, for our pregnant women. So we've seen people completely uh, without symptoms, and unfortunately, we've gone the other spectrum and seen women severely ill and, and unfortunately we have seen maternal deaths uh, from this. So I think, um, you know, it's it's real, it's out there. I can assure you that uh, our folks have had to, have to put up with the whole thing. Uh, but, um, you know, the bottom line is this, this has been a real hit to pregnant women and unfortunately passed the, the effects passed along to their babies um, you know, with respect to preterm birth and some of the other complications. So it, it's been an issue. And do pregnant women have any different risks with, involved with contracting COVID? You know, um, what we found and seen, uh, as has been reported in the literature, is that pregnant women can develop and have a more severe course 
than if they weren't pregnant. And so there are a few, in, a few other illnesses like influenza where pregnancy seems to set women up uh, for more complications. So in COVID in particular, it's been the respiratory symptoms such as pneumonia and difficulty breathing. So increased numbers of moms going into the intensive care, increased moms uh, going on the ventilator, increased moms with blood clots and other complications. So we certainly have seen that uh, happen, unfortunately. So I know you mentioned that women that are pregnant can have more severe course, but does it matter how far along they are within their pregnancy? Yeah, it's really interesting. And it, and it is, um, you, you know, uh, changed a little bit of our counseling on things like vaccination. And the reason I say that is it seems to be the severest uh, uh, the severely affected women tend to be in the middle part of their pregnancy, somewhere around 24 to 32, mm. perhaps 34 weeks, where they really seem to get the sickest. So what that means for us in our counseling about, hey, get the vaccine, it's, hey, get it before that time period, of course, to try to avoid that. Um, on the other end, uh, later in pregnancy, we certainly have seen people get sick and, and of course, uh, you know, had to deliver them, things of that nature. But it's really that middle of the pregnancy that, that we, we are the most concerned about. And if a pregnant mom does get COVID, does it mean that she automatically gives it to her baby? No, fortunately, um, one of the good things about this virus, unlike some other things, for example, Zika. Remember, we went through that mm -hmm. a couple years ago. Um, the transmission rate across the placenta seems to be pretty low. Um, so we're not seeing birth defects. We're not seeing, uh, you know, things of that nature. If the mother herself doesn't get sick, it doesn't seem to cause direct problems to her fetus. In other words, if she gets sick enough to lower her oxygen in her blood or things of that nature, obviously that's, you know, the mother is breathing for herself and her baby, right? Mm -hmm. So so the bottom line is that can affect it. But as far as directly uh, transmitting, uh, not a huge problem. And even at birth, we think most of the transmission happens afterwards. In other words, uh, you know, the mother breathing, the baby breathing that in. Uh, but overall, the, the number of babies we've seen, we, we obviously test the babies, right, because there are a few of them, but most of them have not been culture positive and, and actually done pretty well. And just curious, for the babies that are born to moms who have had COVID, are, do these babies have immunity if they've received the vaccine or their moms have had COVID? They, they do. Actually, um, you know, when you get vaccinated, the, the primary antibodies you produce are called IgG. And I know that you know that, <laughs> but I'm sure there's ones on the call that don't. But IgG antibodies do cross the placenta and do get in the baby. So one of the, one of the things we tell our moms when we're counseling about vaccination is, hey, 
not only are you uh, protecting yourself, but you're also giving uh, what we call passive immunity. In other words, the transfer over to the baby. So it makes it less likely when the, you know, when newborn babies uh, come out, their, their immune system is, is not, uh, you know, up to speed, so to speak. So, so it's a really good thing for them to have these antibodies. Yeah. And speaking as a new nursing mother, um, do you know, is there any data that breast milk provides immunity to COVID? Yeah, we, we think it does. Obviously, the biggest benefit in a breastfeeding mother of, of either having, you know, some natural immunity from a prior infection or from, uh, from vaccination is the fact she's not going to get COVID or not be as infectious if she is a breakthrough infection. But there's also evidence that uh, the antibodies get over into into breast milk. And and theoretically, since it is sort of an oral or, a, you, you know, you're breathing it in, that should give some immunity to the baby. So that's, that's, that's a good thing. Very good to hear. And what should a mom do if she thinks she's been exposed to COVID or if she starts to feel symptoms? So just like a non- pregnant person, um, first thing to do is isolate yourself, right? Um, if, if you think you've had it, pl please do not, you know, go out and share it, right? That That's sort of common sense. Um, if they develop symptoms, uh, they, they certainly should uh, let their caregiver know, you know, their, their uh, um, obstetrician or their midwife or who has ever um, keep them uh, appraised of it. The ACOG has put together a very good um, algorithm for how we as providers um, handle that. In other words, if someone's exposed, they're having very, very mild symptoms, we don't just rush them into the office because, again, we don't want to contaminate other patients and, mm -hmm. and ourselves. Uh, uh, but obviously, we, we tempered that by, by what we were talking about earlier is the fact that they are at, at risk to get severe disease. So uh, we do encourage if the symptoms get bad enough for folks to come in. There are also candidates for monoclonal antibody therapy, mm -hmm. you know, the, the um, drug that, uh, that actually gives them, infuses antibodies against the COVID uh, and we give it, um, but a, again, to these uh, folks who are just on the edge of potentially uh, needing hospitalization, et cetera. So again, we definitely want to know about it. We definitely want to do it. But the biggest thing is, um, you know, again, to reduce the, reduce the spread. And then, of course, the other thing is encourage the people around uh, her to go out and get vaccinated so that they they uh, potentially won't uh, get it or spread it. And I know you mentioned vaccines before, but I've got a couple questions and it sounds like some questions are coming in as well. Um, is it safe for pregnant women to get the vaccine? And what are your thoughts about boosters in pregnancy? Yeah, so, so there's a number of things to talk about the safety of the vaccines in pregnancy. Uh, obviously, they were not as as all, all the time, whenever uh, vaccines are um, uh, tested, they don't start with pregnant women for, for obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. um, but um, there were pregnant women in the trials. In other words, you know, 
they're human too, right? So they got <laughs> pregnant and things of that nature. And the one thing, one a bit of credit I will give to the CDC is they have been tracking if you get the vaccine and you know you're pregnant, they, they not only have been tracking everyone who does that, but they specifically have reached out to, to a number of pregnant women and followed those pregnancies uh, closely. And the data we have is very encouraging. The, the symptoms you get from the vaccine, of course, are very similar to non-pregnant and things of that nature, but there's been no increase in miscarriage, no increase in stillbirth or prematurity or uh, poor pregnancy outcome. And based upon that, and again, uh, weighing that against the, the increased severity of, of COVID in pregnancy, it really, you know, the, the safety, uh, you know, risk benefit ratio really um, uh, weighs on the side of, of uh, uh, recommending vaccination during pregnancy. And then, and then the last issue probably that, that people, you know, has come up uh, because there was early on, um, you know, and it mainly made it through social media, but a concern about, hey, uh, is this similar to a placental hormone and is this going to cause miscarriages? And again, first of all, the similarity between the, those uh, two things is really not thought to be, be enough to, to cause problems. And like I say, we now have really uh, pretty good numbers to show miscarriage rates uh, do not go up with uh, vaccination. So if you're planning pregnancy, we also recommend uh, going ahead and, and getting uh, the vaccine. Perfect. You actually answered a couple questions. Oh. And there was another one that came in that said, I mean, it sounds like you answered this one too. Do you believe all pregnant women should get the vaccine? Obviously, I'm biased. Um, you know, I, I don't think you see see the stories and, and you see the women that have gotten sick and mm -hmm. not be moved by that. I mean, yeah. you know, <laughs> believe it or not, right, doctors are human. Uh, mm -hmm. And so I am a little, I, I am biased. But yeah, I like you say, um, I, I think, you know, if, if this had been in January and I'd gotten that question, I probably would have said, Wow, um, let's let's see how things go. But now, mm -hmm. with the data we've seen and the experiences we've had, um, I you know I, I think uh, you know the head of ACOG put it best. He said he said now we're at the point we should enthusiastically uh, support giving uh, all all pregnant women a vaccine. So again, that's not to say, as you know, you, you know anything in medicine. Uh, there's always some downside risk, right? In other words, uh, there may be a, a rare case here, a rare case there. But if you just mm -hmm. ask me for all women in general, it's, it's, it's kind of a no-brainer. And then I think if we go back to our conversation about the beneficial effect to, to not only this baby, but the other children. See, I think the other thing we got to remember here is mo many pregnant women, you know, obviously if it's not their first, are going to be around young children that that likely are not vaccinated. So it's just a good group. Um, I, I tell people, you know, I, I think we have, or I certainly have read more information about this vaccine than all the other vaccines mm -hmm. that we give in pregnancy probably combined. 
Um, so, you know, it, again, every bit of data we have now is, is strongly supported. Yeah, that's good. I would agree. It seems like everyone's really looking into the data. And another question came in is if you could speak to the studies of women being able to get pregnant after getting the Pfizer vaccine. Yeah, again, there, you know, you know, there's no evidence that the Society for Reproductive uh, Endocrinology strongly supports vaccination as well. Again, it kind of gets back to what I was saying about the uh, placental, you know, again, these two German uh, researchers who said, wait a second, you're creating antibodies that will you know, target the placenta and make infertility go up. And again, that just has not panned out. And there's no, uh, none of the data that we've seen have, have uh, supported that. So uh, again, uh, you, you know, I think, I think like you say, our recommendation, whether you're planning pregnancy or whether you're having a pregnancy and certainly you know, the, the other way to kind of look at that is if you get sick enough, you know, that may influence your ability to get pregnant uh, later on. You know, if you get a big blood clot or you have, uh, you know, severe illness with your lungs and things of that nature, that's going to probably do a lot more effect, I think, long term to your reproductive ability than, than certainly than anything we, we can imagine from the vaccines. That's a good point. And I think uh, one last question, and um, I think you may have touched on it, but I just want to be clear, is fetal development affected when expecting moms get COVID vaccine? No, no. And again, uh, you know, the, the uh, antibodies that are getting across, much like if it was a natural COVID infection, right, uh, the antibodies getting across into the the uh, baby are thought to be beneficial. So if anything, uh, we really think uh, that's that's very, it's much, much safer for, for the baby. And the vaccine itself, particularly the mRNA, you know, if the mRNA gets, gets free, quote unquote, out of the muscle cells in your arm where you get the shot, mRNA doesn't last but a few seconds out in your blood. It's broken down and uh, two components and things of that nature. So there's nothing to think we're affecting the baby at all. Okay. Those are very good questions coming in. Yeah, no, good, happy to answer. Dr. Dr. Covid, let's turn it around. What, tell us, tell us about what your role in all this uh, has been. What, what do you do for our health system? So I'm at St. Jude in Fullerton, and I do inpatient rehab for patients who have strokes or brain injuries, and more recently because of COVID, people who have been having sequela from COVID as well. So I mostly work within the hospital in our inpatient rehab unit, but then I do continue to see these people outpatient and follow them depending on their deficits or impairments. And... Um... Uh, my understanding is actually you tested the the system during a pregnancy, right? Recently, while while we were going through all this, and I think yep. just by the way, before you answer and tell us your experience, that was one of the hardest things I think for us uh, as caregivers to restrict visitation and make all the changes mm -hmm. and 
and walk into a patient's room looking like we were something out of a science fiction movie uh, with the PPE. But tell it how to feel as a patient. Yeah, I would agree. So just on as the physician side, even on the inpatient rehab unit, being the person to say, no, you know, can't have visitors, it's really hard. But being a patient was interesting. So as my second pregnancy and birth, the first one I had before COVID, so I got to see what normal medicine would look like within the hospital. And then my second one was interesting. So my first one, I had a doula present and my husband present while I was in the hospital. And the second one, I was told I couldn't have a doula because of the visitor restrictions, which was frustrating, but I understood the concerns. And because as a working physician within the system, I had to say the same thing to my patients. We made it work by actually having virtual visitation with my doula and she was available on call if I needed to during the birth as well. So that was nice. Um, I'm, I'm very comfortable within the hospital system and everyone within the hospital is really nice, even with the restrictions and made me feel really safe. Yeah, it's funny. I'm going to follow up that one because you hit one of the magic words we learned about, right, was was telemedicine and how mm-hmm. we could. So did you obviously you said to use that in the hospital. What about any of your prenatal visits get switched over or any of your care that way get changed? No, the only issue was my husband not being present, um, which was sad because he couldn't see the ultrasounds. Um, but I did all of my prenatal visits in person. So the care was, they were very comprehensive, made sure that I get all the testing ultrasounds that I needed before the actual birth. Yeah. Well, and again, I think going forward, that's, that's probably one of the things we'll learn. Now you were in a hospital Mm -hmm. and obviously, um, you know, at that time we, we had active COVID patients in the Mm -hmm. hospital. How, How safe did you feel? How were, was that a concern? Was it, wait a second, you know, it's, it's what, what about me? What about my baby? What, what, tell, tell us about that. So interestingly enough, um, when I work as a physician within the hospital and there was COVID cases, cause I was seeing COVID within our hospital as consults, I said, I felt more comfortable in the hospital than I felt outside of the hospital. And that's because within the hospital, we all had equipment to prevent the caregivers from getting it and the patients from getting it. So everyone was doing good hand hygiene, they're wearing their masks or their face shields, gowns if appropriate or needed. And so that's why I felt so comfortable within the hospital giving birth. When I would go outside and go to the grocery store and who knows the person next to me, if they're wearing a mask or not, if they're symptomatic or not, no, I never knew. So in the hospital, at least I had those um, barriers to protect me. And then also because of COVID testing, it was also nice to know if people were positive or not. So if there's other patients, they would isolate those patients away from the mother baby unit and they would keep them away from other sicker patients. So what would you tell your caregivers? Now now put on your patient gown, Mm -hmm. put on your Mm -hmm. patient gown and um, what would you tell them to do different or how, how could we have made the experience better? Honestly, it was a good experience. Everyone did their job. They were all very supportive. Um, Everyone was wearing their mask appropriately because I'm very, I was very overprotective about that. And so, you know, if someone's mask is below their nose, I would ask them to put up. That never happened in the hospital. Um, The only thing that is different. So obviously within labor, when it got to the point where I was really uncomfortable because I was going natural, 
I could not wear my mask anymore. And it's just, it was really uncomfortable. And they didn't harass me about taking it off. Everyone else was wearing their appropriate PPE to prevent them, but they were nice to allow me to be able to take it off for that time when I just, I could not bear to have it on my face. Obviously I wore it as much as possible, but there are circumstances. And and were you, when did you deliver? I know I'm violating HIPAA here. No. Just no. general. Uh, uh, April. Yeah, April. So mm-hmm. so hopefully most of your caregivers, right, were vaccinated by mm-hmm. that point. Because yeah, I will tell you, you know, turning the, the flipping it around for the caregivers, because uh, you mentioned it, or, you know, keeping pregnant women who are pushing, you know, Mm-hmm. in a mask or whatever, you got to be kidding, right? So so the point being that, you know, you can imagine for those caregivers, the relief they felt once they had been vaccinated. I think, I, you know, I've heard that from multiple from nurses and physicians and other folks that had to be in the room. So, so that's an Im, Im, important, uh, really important point. Now, I agree. Now you got to put your white coat back on and tell me a little bit about your work with the long haulers. Cause I think I, you know, I think what people don't realize about this uh, pandemic is, is what a big deal the the long haulers and, you know, going forward, we're, we're going to deal with. So can you give us some, some info on that? Yeah. So the nice thing is I, I do see these patients on the full spectrum. So I do see the ones that are in the hospital who've been on ventilators with breathing tubes, who've had myopathies or muscle and nerve weakness, and they do go through acute rehab if they're weak enough. And then I also see the ones that are home, have never been hospitalized, um, had a diagnosis of COVID and never really sought care, but then later had some symptoms of some fatigue. So I do see the whole spectrum. The difficult part is that people aren't realizing that if you get COVID, there is a high likelihood that you could have symptoms long-term. And so that's why a lot of healthcare professionals are pushing for the vaccine. Although, you know, great that it does prevent death and bad outcomes, but it also prevents the chance that you're gonna have long haulers most likely because you're not going to have the severity of the symptoms. So for the patients with long haulers, um, I'm seeing them with fatigue, difficulty concentrating, difficulty getting in and out of bed, they just can't do their basic activities and they have a variety of symptoms. And there's a huge long list that we've compiled. And so every patient is really different. Um, They are getting better, which is the good thing. So we've been applying techniques of rehab that we use in chronic fatigue syndrome and in cancer rehab to these patients and they are having better outcomes. So they are able to walk further distances, able to get back to their daily routines after some therapy. So they are improving, which is a good sign. We are still doing more research. So we are trying to find out if there's other modalities that might help, but at least we have something that works for them in the interim. Yeah, I I can't imagine taking care of a new baby and breastfeeding and, you know, all the things that that hit new mothers with long Mm -hmm. haul syndrome. It's got to be a, a huge deal for those folks. Yep. Having a newborn is working enough. <laughs> yeah, really. Anything else? What, what else have we not talked about? I would say, you know, from my perspective that even if you haven't been diagnosed formally with COVID, you know, if you ever thought that you had COVID and you have symptoms that someone should seek treatment, 
to make sure that they get back to the life that they had before. I think that's the biggest piece from just treating long hauler patients is that they're hesitant to get treatment and that we can help them. Yeah, and I think the best data I've seen is is the vaccines um, at least half your risk of being a long hauler. So, yeah. you know, another another reason that that we're supporting vaccination is the long Great. haul and and the effects that's going to have on on those folks. Great. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Dr. LeGrew, for joining us today and for everyone listening and sending your questions. To learn more about our initiatives, our programs, and our services, or ways to give, or if you're looking for medical care, please visit us at providence.org. And make sure to follow us on social media at Providence Health System for LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram, and under Providence on Twitter. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.